Welcome to FinTech Fridays. Oh yeah! It's a weekly podcast brought to you by the National Crowdfunding and FinTech Association of Canada and Partners. Covering all things FinTech, blockchain, P2P, AI, and alternative finance. Hey everybody, Maitsub Khan here. Thank you for tuning in to another fantastical episode of the FinTech Friday podcast. Um, you know, I'm thinking of getting tattoos. I think fantastical might be one of the new tattoos that I want to get. Um, even though it's not legally a word, even though I'm trying to make- I love it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, fantastical, honestly, fantastical has been a word that I've been trying to make into a real word for the past three seasons. And I've honestly, I keep forgetting to actually put it into the urban dictionary or any dictionary when we have you. So I might actually change that this week because, you know, new year, new me. Anyways, uh, <laughs> on this week's episode, uh, I'm super excited for my guest. Uh, I have Michelle. Michelle, thank you for dropping by. I'm super excited for having you on. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here. And, and I created a word that I guess is doing pretty good out there called Finnovator. I just smashed fintech and innovation together. That seems to be out. I love that. So tell me, so tell me more about, you know, not only the word Finnovator, but your company as well. Yeah, sure. Um, So I started Finnovator last July and largely started it because my background's pretty diverse, did six years in telecom, eight years in shopping, online shopping, uh, three years in prepaid, one year in blockchain and uh, took all of that experience and have gone out on my own to create a boutique fintech consultancy called Finnovator. Oh, awesome. So um, what made you want to actually get into a consultancy, um, the business itself? Um, you know, you have like, I just honestly going through your LinkedIn, you have so much experience. I didn't know. I honestly didn't know where to start. So I was like, I'm just going to let her kind of take over and just <laughs> we'll go from there. Um, how did like how did how did you get started? Like what made you what did you like go on like a hike and like you saw a tree and you're like Finnovator? Like how did how did this idea hit you? Yeah, so you know, I think it, it took a little longer. Um I was out of fintech and I went to Money 2020 and it was my fourth year there in 2017. And I just Money 2020 is one of those conferences that you go and you're just like awe-inspired to all of the innovation and technology and things around the world that are are coming out to help consumers. And I came out of there and I I think it was my first intro to to blockchain. And I ended up finding a course at Ivy that was called like FinTech Innovation. And it was the first of its kind or mastering FinTech. And I ended up getting into that course, getting the company I was at to pay for half of it. And I just got there. It was a four-day, 80-hour pre-read. Um, and I ended up with all the SVPs of the banks, learning about digital currency, blockchain, fintech, crypto. And I was just like floored. I'm like, this is the future of finance. And I, I just fell in love with it. I, and that's really why I jumped out into that blockchain company as a chief client officer for a year and took that risk. And after doing that for a year, and my friend passing away, I kind of just want the times now, like if you want to make change in the world and give back and try and help financial inclusion and drive innovation forward, just jump out there, create a company and and try and help companies, fintechs succeed faster and banks work with more fintechs. Yeah. I mean, 
uh, again, super sorry about hearing your friend passing away, but you did bring up a really good point of, you know, why not, right? Like now that we're living in the midst of a global pandemic, <laughs> I mean, I know we knew we were chatting about before, I started working out because I'm just like, hey, you know what? The world's burning. I'm also get a six pack at this point. I got nothing to lose. I'm going to just keep, right? So you might as well try something. Like something you got, if you keep throwing stuff against the wall, something's going to stick. Yeah, I think like through crisis comes innovation because people are, are, when you're already at risk, you can take more risk. It's when you're not at risk that you're fearful of risk, I, I think. Because I, I was a good corporate girl in, in the corporate world, climbing the corporate ladder um, for so many years, like 15, 16 years. And then when I went out into the blockchain company and you experience crypto winter and you end up you know, at a startup of any kind, you end up doing multiple different roles. You learn so much. And you're like, when you're at risk, you can take more risk and through risk can come a lot of reward. Oh, I, I 100% agree with you. That that must have been such a crazy, um, I guess, switch of uh, going from corporate to going to startup. That's very much a very common theme uh, in the fintech space. You have a lot of classically uh, trained corporate bankers that decide to start their own company. Like, oh, okay, I'm wearing a lot more hats than I'm used to. This is well, it's quite the juggle. Yeah, it's a different culture, but um, I, I really love it. It's really a innovation culture that is how do we work together instead of compete. I feel like that's the differential. There's so many different ways that companies can work together to drive stronger revenue versus just compete against the same market. Yeah. So, I mean, sticking on that, what, what are some of the ways that companies can collaborate instead of competing right now that, um, again, you know, now that we have COVID, now that we have all of this chaos going on in the world, um, I feel like now we should be closer than ever. How, I guess, what are some of the ways that businesses uh, can start to collaborate instead of compete? Yeah, I think a lot of people are, are changing their business model on its head. Some people were in the entertainment business, right? And, mm -hmm. and basically turned their platforms into different ways to reward customers. I, I think it's just taking a look at your consumer and what do they need? And if you offer them one piece of the pie, how do you partner with someone else to offer them another? Um, so I worked with a, a global rewards company and helped them enable microloans. So you can pay for your um, employee rewards. You can use your points. You can uh, use your credit card or you can get a microloan. So mm -hmm. in COVID times, that's so important as you're watching microloans becoming almost a necessity on your online shopping platforms because people need to kind of pay as pay as they can. So if they could break it down into six payments, then they could pay for other essentials and still get the thing they wanted to some degree. Right. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. This actually beautifully translates uh, into my next question uh, about one of my favorite topics. I think it's your top favorite topic as well, open banking. Um, you know, how does open banking look now uh, in a COVID world? And I guess, how does the conversation now change of open banking? I know open banking uh, before to me, it felt a little bit more up in the air. Like it felt like a nice to have. Uh, now it seems like the conversation has dramatically changed where now it's, it, it seems like a necessity. Like it open, like we need open banking. Yeah, I, I, I fully agree. So I just actually got um, 
my first board seat on the Open Banking Initiative of Canada. And I, I feel extremely passionate about it because as you look to the UK and Australia and Singapore and Brazil and other countries that have taken a lead, Canada is just so far behind. Oh. Um, and you're right. Like, I think it just was, a, we did really well in 2008 and we didn't have a financial crisis because we're conservative. So let's be conservative and let's hold off. Uh, and the consultations got held off due to COVID, but thankfully they're back on the books in December and that just got announced a couple of days ago. So I, I think the need for it is great because when you look at the opportunity in the UK, there was a platform built to allow um, government when people were applying for subsidies to get access to show that they had the right qualifications. Where in Canada, we're just passing everything out and hope we can look for who qualified later. So the thing of open banking is giving consumers the right and the ability to share their data and have better access to their data so they can make better budgeting decisions. They could save money on services because they can move from one location of, of a service to another provider uh, in a much easier manner. Right. And in today's society, like I think it was today, I was driving my kids to school and they're talking on the radio about how a study just came out that we are number one, two, and three of the most expensive telecom providing services in oh, the world. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, think I, someone, I agree with that. That's, oh my God. It's insane. And I come from telecom. So I think if someone was to do the same study on banking, I bet you we would be almost in the same situation on a global scale. So if we are the most expensive telecom and the most expensive banking in the world, what are we doing for Canadian consumers? And I think open banking is the thing we need to do to give them competition of ability to choose better and cheaper services for not just themselves, but their kids. 100%. And especially now that um, we are moving into more of a global economy, uh, you know, the first step is definitely helping out, you know, us Canadians, but also like later on helping out the world, right? Like we definitely want, we, there's so many amazing companies here in Canada that can benefit the world so greatly. And open banking is just one of the many forms that that's going to take. <laughs> like Canada has so much amazing things to offer to the world. Unfortunately, we're just, we're just... We're just super conservative. Yeah, we're super conservative. And I, I actually state that quite a bit. Like, where is the Shopify of financial services coming out of Canada? Because if we could do Shopify so well as an export that has really driven as a technology so many different opportunities as a platform for so many companies and done so well and is probably the most profitable stock in Canada, better than the banks at this point, we need to find a way to have the, the financial service offering that is similar to Shopify in the fintech world to compete with bigger wallets that are QR based on a global scale because it's becoming globalized banking, right? Op yeah. Open banking is opening the door for the financial race uh, to who's gonna be the financial services of the world and Canada should be at the table. But without open banking, we're, we're not even there. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I absolutely agree with you. There, there's actually no reason why our hats should not be in the ring uh, for that race. Yeah, and we're making some good strides. So don't, I'll, 
I'm always a positive thinker. So, yeah. you know, there is some payment modernizations on the books. We have the consultation happening in December. Uh, there's a new finance minister who I'm, I'm hoping we'll see the, the vision of, you know, all of the industries in Canada trying to come together to share their voice, like the OBIC and, you know, NFCA really trying to share why open banking is is important and then you have colin deacon who's a senator and independent really trying to share the voice and education into the government to help them understand what the advantages of open banking is and it's not like a turn on the switch and go right like we have to say yes canada's moving to open banking and then we have to get our competition laws right we've got to get um our data like laws right um, and we have to modernize our payment infrastructure. So these are three important things we have to do, but all of those things have to happen to create the right infrastructure for open banking. So I'm really hoping we get some type of clear decision in the near future. Yeah, and I believe that conversations like this, um, you know, having, and I mean, you're also part of the NCFA um, board as well which is i mean yeah, congrats on both uh it's i mean these kind of conversations are super important right these are conversations that not many people are having uh only because not many people know right the gen i mean the, the general public honestly couldn't tell you what the heck we're talking about and you know education does play a huge role into this education um is going to play a critical role into any of the fintech initiatives um that we're trying to move forward here a hundred percent. And I think it's a, it's kind of on us to have the right marketing insights to help educate everyday Canadians. Yeah, I, I, I hundred percent agree with you. So uh, we'll, we'll switch, we're switching a little bit gears here. Um, Canada has introduced some new payment rails. So I guess, what is the, I guess, like, what is the relationship um, with open banking with the new payment rails? Like, I guess, how does it, does, how does open banking like play a role into the new payment into the new payment rails. Yeah, so there the new payment rails are are necessary, you know, to get up to ISO 20022 standard so that we can be part of the global messaging of having the right data infrastructure. So I guess I'm getting complex here, but I come from online shopping and in I guess 2002 I was doing online shopping and affiliate marketing where you can go, you can shop, and then you would get double or triple the points because there was metadata in the transaction that could prove where you shopped, how much you spent, um, what you purchased, so that you know that payment can go from, let's say, Macy's to uh, United Mileage Plus Shopping Mall, so you got three times the points. And in the current system, we only have payment amount, payment date who it went to and, and who it came from. That's it. There's no place for you to actually put additional data insight. And therefore, like we, we have kind of a rudimentary payment system that you can't put the invoice information into. You can't put additional insights that would be able to help you um, do better accounting, cheaper accounting. And um, these systems are available and embedded in the UK system uh, it's being mandated from a SWIFT perspective and Canada didn't have it on its roadmap until, you know, farther down the path. And now it's coming in the new Lynx rails uh, with IBM. And hopefully by 2022, 
these functionalities and accesses will be available to really modernize our payment system. Yeah, I'm 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 super excited. Uh, pay, yeah, payment payment rails has been uh, a topic that we've that we've definitely covered on the show. Um, now that we have new payment rails, it's awesome. So I guess those episodes might be a little dated, but uh, hey, I'm 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 super for um, our, our like the the path of open banking and hopefully Canada being in the race for that. So um what's you know being a female in fintech um what is that like? Um you know I remember uh, in one of our earliest episodes we had Sue I had Sue Breton on and she mentioned how you know the finance space is very much an old boys club. Um and hopefully that's not, and hopefully that's not the same case when it comes to fintech. Um, I guess, like, what is your take on being a female founder in the fintech space? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so I'm hoping that the fintech space can kind of correct what was happening in the financial space, mm-hmm. um, but you know, it's still challenging. Um, I've largely being the only female in the room uh, as I came up through my career. I was in sales, executive sales, uh, ran departments, um, but I was really happy. I worked for a company um, called Incom and my boss was Brazilian and he was just, you know, 2015, we're creating a 50-50 executive team and I want you on it. And it was the best three years in that sense. Not only did he have a 50-50 executive team, I created my team is 50-50 and we were one of 30 countries and we were the only country with that initiative. But I have to share like in three years, I think we accomplished the most. So what I learned is that 50-50 is actually the best way, not only to drive um, revenue, because it's actually being proven that having more females on your executive team or board will drive about 13 to 15% added profit at the end of, of the year. Um, but it's also really a way to get both sides of innovation and right. drive things forward. So I've purposely made Finnovator 50-50. I, when I got offered the board seat and it was my first board seat, I asked that before I accepted that the board be made 50-50. Um, so I think it takes individuals to speak up and to ask for change, otherwise it won't change. Cause I've definitely seen like when I go to work with a company or if I'm seeing someone present, I'll check like their team online. And if it's all guys, it, it's just hard for me to kind of respect the vision that they have because you know, you're missing an entire product mindset by yeah. having five guy founders. Um, not to say you can't do it, but then go get some female board members to diversify your vision, to ensure you're making the best decisions for your product and your profit line. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, uh, a lot of these five guy, (laughs) five guy founded companies, um, will definitely throw out around the word innovation, uh, in a lot of their presentations, uh, very tough to be innovative. If you guys are just five guys, five guys, like. What are you guys? Come on! What are you guys doing? <laughs> like you're, yeah, you're you're missing a side of the fence over there. Yeah, you're um, missing a whole side of the fence. Like what? <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, take take the time to make the effort. There's like great groups out there, like Women in Payments, who are executive, really powerful females 
in the industry around the world that are making innovative change within their organizations or have their own companies or CEO or WNET. And you can't make the claim that they can't find the women anymore. I, I think it's so much easier to find passionate, educated uh, women who understand fintech or payments uh, and can really help ensure that you get consumers that are also women because they have money too. Um, and if you're not paying attention, you're just, you're missing money. That's how I, I like to position it. It's not about diversity and quality. It is, but it's also, you're missing money because you're not paying attention to the whole demographic. And internally you're missing a culture that could be so much greater if you had better diversity. Yeah. I think missing money is going to be the name of this episode. Um, as you said it, like, like it rang, I was like, that's so perfect. Oh, I love it. Um, so let's, okay. Let's, let's zoom out just a little bit here. Let's, let's, let's get, let's get out of FinTech. Let's talk a little bit more general. Um, what does being a CEO mean to you? Um, yeah, let's start with that. Yeah, I think, you know, I became a CEO activator back in 2017, the same time um, that I went to that FinTech IV course. And um, I was just inspired. I got to, it's called radical generosity. Like what a term. Please, um, yeah, please, please dig deep in that. I love that. Please, please dig okay. deep into that. So, so Vicky is the CEO of CEO. Awesome, mm -hmm. awesome name. Um, and she created it because I think she came from the VC space and realized that no females were being funded. So she created this model on its head, which is basically called radical generosity. And it was started out of Canada and anybody can basically donate. Um, it's a mandated amount, it's the same amount for anyone all around the world. Um, I believe it's uh, $1,200. You gift it, and what you get back is you get a vote. So that money all goes into a pool, and then organizations all apply that they have to be 51% owned by a female or um, someone who identifies as a female. And then it all goes to a vote. I think there's over 500 activators in Canada. It's actually happening next week. Uh, oh. It happens once a year, and it happens in different times all around the world in Australia, in the UK, and the US, and all 500 activators get to take a look at all applicants, put in their choices, and then they drill it down. Uh, and then there's another presentation, they drill it down again, and then they, they offer some money, it's not a ton, but they also offer mentorship and, and different aspects to try and help the ventures succeed. So it's just a really cool way to feel like in this world of chaos that you're doing something good. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely incredible. I love that. Oh, I love I love that a lot. Okay. Huh. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna have to change the episode name. Okay. Um <laughs> so you know mentoring, I guess like younger female founders, what what would be, I guess, your primary advice or what would be some of the um advice that you'd give up and coming young uh, female founders or you know, like a younger version of you? Yeah, I, I, you know, I take a lot of calls, like 15 minute intro calls. Um, I just did a, a presentation at Money 2020 on work life balance. It was my first time on main stage, even though it was virtual. Um, and it was me and someone else who won Money 2020 Rise Up, Genevieve uh, Dozier. 
And we were just talking about work-life balance in the midst of this entire global pandemic and the feedback and the, the women that have reached out just to say, you know, that was inspiring or that was helpful or um, thank you for saying imposter syndrome exists. I totally have it, didn't know what it was. Um, I think there's so many women out there that just have imposter syndrome, which is simply, you know, being nervous or thinking you don't deserve something or being offered a chief client officer role and, and stepping back and saying, whoa, can I be a chief client officer? Um, and just know that, you know, get in there, take the role, apply. Uh, you're going to do phenomenal. Don't wait till you have 100% of all qualifying aspects. Put yourself in the ring and, and shine in personality and the want and will to do better and learn more. So, you know, reach out to other women, network every day, have a 15 minute chat with someone you don't know and be inspired, stay positive, think big. I love it. I love it. Um, I, I think you brought up a really good point of, uh, you know, the imposter syndrome and not being afraid of, you know, growing into a role. I mean, that I think I think that's, that's, that's a fear. I think that everybody kind of falls into of thinking they're not like, you know, they got the role, but they don't think they're good enough. Um, I think they have to get on the other side of that and thinking that, hey, I can grow into this role. Uh, that's that's what happened to me when I first when I first started the show. I was like, I don't know anything about fintech. Why am I talking to these CEOs and founders of companies that are just absolutely killing it? I'm like, I don't know anything. And then as as the shows as the shows kind of like rolled in, I started to learn a little bit of terminology, started doing a little bit more research. Now I'm what 37, 38 episodes deep. I'm super comfortable. So I think like being allowing yourself to grow into the role i think that's one i think that's a like absolutely crucial step of yeah accepting that like hey you know what i might not like i might not think that i'm fit for the job or i might i might not think that i'm fit for the role now but i'm gonna get there and i'm just gonna keep putting in the work every single day until i get there yeah and be humble like i think even if you you get to a higher level be humble but also celebrate your wins right like mm -hmm. if something happened like i signed uh, a u.s bank and a canadian bank take a moment and and enjoy and appreciate that situation because i think so many of us whether it's big or small just kind of achieve things but don't acknowledge them and uh you only grow confidence by acknowledging what you've achieved yeah that's i i agree with you i what i try to do is um when when I found out you're coming on the show, I I just I ran upstairs to 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 where my little sister is, and I was like, I got a guest, let's go, and she's like, let's go, gave me a high five. I got a high five. I'm like, all right, I'm going downstairs. She's like, yeah, go do your research. I'm like, all right, later. And that's it. That's my little win. <laughs> anytime I get a guest, anytime anytime I edit like on time, oh, those little little wins, they they mean so much. Yeah, because like life is, we're not in control of so much right now. Yeah, You're in control of your little world. And yeah. if something good happens in it, celebrate it. A hundred percent. I totally agree with you. So you ran a triathlon. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to, trying to think how I'm going to fit. You know what? Okay. Running a marathon has been one of my dreams ever since I was in high school. And I ran track. So how cool. did how did that how, yeah, how did that start? Like, not only did you run a triathlon, but you raised money. Like, talk about that entire story, please. 
Yeah, it was total by fluke. And I, I was an athlete in high school, but I would say it ended there. Like I, I became more work driven than um, sports driven. So um, I never first saw, like I never was planning to do a triathlon. Uh, I was a marketer and in uh, a sales girl and running three departments and I was leaving to my new blockchain company. And the last thing I was doing um, for income was this PR. We got this really cool approval, this program uh, to work with Visa to sponsor uh, five athletes to go to the 2020 Olympics, which I, I laugh because that's not happening uh, due to the pandemic, but yeah. the, the intention was good. We five, five years ago, uh, had got the, the program in works and got it approved in, in 2018. And we're doing the PR launch at a kids of steel event. So kids of steels in Caledon, and it's been happening for 25 years. And I think like three athletes have made it to the Olympics from that program. And it's super cute. My kids went, um, signed them up, my son just like, he was really little at the time. He just had to swim one length of the Olympic size swimming pool, go on his little tricycle around the parking lot and do a hundred meter run. He got like a medal and bubbles and candy and face paint. Like it's so cool getting kids like into the triathlon and, and kind of loving it. But my daughter was the oldest of all of the kids from the, from our office. And I didn't wow. realize she actually had to, as a nine-year-old, she had to swim four lengths of the Olympic size swimming pool, which I didn't bring goggles for. She had to do a one kilometer bike or three kilometer bike and a one kilometer run. Um, and she finished and she was the last of her heat. She came over the line kind of crying. She's like, I, I was last. I'm like, no, this is you against you. You finished next year. You come back and you beat your time. She goes, mommy, I'll come back. If you come back, I'm like, Aww. okay, yeah, uh, I guess I'm doing a triathlon next year. So yeah. I didn't really train. Uh, I became a vegetarian though, uh, in oh, nice. kind of pre-training for, for the triathlon. Cause I was like, I better finish this thing. Like everybody I work with is going to be at the finish line, uh, including my kids watching me. So I did train a little bit in swimming. Cause I was like, I could bike. I, I was a runner. I could run, but I can't swim. Like it yeah. was eight lengths of the Olympic size swimming pool. It was a, a 15 kilometer bike and a five kilometer run. Um, and I just wanted to make sure I finished and thankfully I came out of there. I finished, I was not hurt and I was not last. And to me that, that was awesome. That's I'm hey, listening to your daughter do all that. I got exhausted. I was like, I can't do, <laughs> I, if I could do half of that, I'll grab a beer. I couldn't even do half of that. That's wow. That's incredible. Wow. That's yeah. I that's think it's like what you push yourself to like, I was kind of hoping for rain but yeah. like, you know, <laughs> it didn't. And I showed up and then that's it. You just have to do it. So sign up and then, you know, feel guilty if you don't show up. Yeah. I know okay, you're, you're right. I'm sure you can do it. And, yeah. and it was a triathlon. So let's be clear. It's not a full triathlon. I don't want to. Okay. 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 Experience. I thought full triathlon, my heart just sank. I was like, I might die midway through this triathlon. <laughs> like, I don't even have yeah, a I don't like start what? in the water fighting to swim. I've seen videos. Um, at least this was in a, an Olympic sized swimming pool. I had my own lane. Yeah. Actually, I was sharing a lane with the woman who won the triathlon. So Ooh. I was quite embarrassed because I was three lengths behind her. 
which means I was like eight and a half minutes behind her. We started at the same time. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I am not the Olympic swimmer. That is for sure. Hey, you know what? You did it. You did it to raise money. So it's what it is. <laughs> I mean, you did it. That's all that matters. So I think, I think I finished. that's a what you yeah. finished. Hey, you know what? You finished. Your daughter finished. Your son had a great time. I honestly would much rather be your son in that whole situation. I want to get my face painted and have bubbles. That's fantastic. That sounds, oh, I'd love that right now. Yes. Well, hopefully without pandemic, it will come back next yeah. year and then you can sign up. There you go. Okay, perfect. So I might, perfect. Awesome. I just signed up for a triathlon. So that's great. Friends are going to love that. <laughs> um they're gonna they're gonna love that i'm sure they'll bet on you this will be fun no no no. they're gonna bet no no, no. they're gonna bet against me i already i can already see the brackets in my head like they're gonna do it like sports betting like okay he's gonna pass out on the three minute mark in the pool or he's gonna fall on his bike i just yeah <laughs> is it no worse <laughs> you'll make them laugh it, it will be good uh, yeah i mean that's what that's 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 my role i guess <laughs> <laughs> so um michelle um is there any last minute i guess tidbits uh that you want to leave the audience anything that you feel like you haven't uh gotten off your chest yet maybe something that keeps you up at night um anything you want to i guess cap this episode off with yeah i think you know kind of to my earlier point we're not in control of pretty much anything surrounding us right now um, but you'd be impressed what you're able to achieve if you set your mind to it. So write five like ridiculous goals and, and try and achieve them because use this time, this unique time in this weird world that we're living in to try and, and push yourself. Um, because those lessons that you learn is something you'll take in this future and, there's still a future ahead of us. So, you know, what are you going to do when you look back at this time of what you achieved? And for me, it's like just having really big goals and then being audacious enough to try and achieve them. So I hope more people take that initiative on, whether those goals be small, whatever they be, like, can we just be better humans? Can we just try and help more people take 15 minutes to have a call with someone and try and inspire them or just let them vent or whatever that might be to just be a little bit more human in these crazy times. Right. So everybody, you heard that I will be seeing you all in the triathlon with me. <laughs> I'm not doing this alone. That's one of my big dreams. And that's now one of yours too. No discussions. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's, that, that was a fantastic way to cap this off. Um, Michelle, what would be the best way to, for our audience to either reach out to you personally, if they have any questions about Finnovator itself, or if they want to just grab a quick minute, a quick 15 minute call with you? Yeah. So um, my LinkedIn profile, uh, great way to reach out to me or Finnovator.com, um, you know, trying to spur up innovation and help fintechs close deals with banks and banks close deals with fintechs um, or just create more innovative products to compete with Asian technology that is driving really innovative consumer experiences. And we need a lot of North American companies to, to grow and expand um, and drive incredible user experiences so that our financial systems stay in country or at least compete on a global scale. So 
yeah, really excited to, to find out who I can collaborate with and, and grow this mission and drive open banking forward. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, no, Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the show and can't wait to have you on again and possibly see you at this marathon. <laughs> Sorry, triathlon. triathlon. Sprint triathlon. Look it up so you'll know exactly how long a sprint triathlon is. It's like the bite size um, triathlon event. Okay. All right. You kind of you kind of sold me on this. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to FinTech Fridays, brought to you by NCFA and Partners. Tune in weekly for the latest FinTech Friday podcast by subscribing to this channel. The National Crowdfunding and Fintech Association of Canada is a nonprofit actively engaged with social and investment fintech sectors around the globe and provides education, research, industry stewardship, services, and networking opportunities to thousands of members and subscribers. For more information, please visit ncfacanada.org. Oh, yeah!